Inclusivity is defined as an intention or policy of including people who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized. Now, where you may stand on this word, its definition, and how it's perceived today, some people believe this is the most inclusive time, and some people believe this is the most exclusive time. So today I'm bringing on an expert and someone who I believe not just talks great to inclusive communities, but also exclusive communities without making anybody feel marginalized. I present to you Tayo Ruxin. Tayo is a keynote speaker and author in New York City. He specializes working with companies and corporations, helping bringing them into a digital age. Tayo has become a good friend of mine, not just a buddy I podcast with here and there, and we had an incredible conversation. Conversations about obviously inclusivity versus exclusivity. Are we living in the most inclusive time? And what is America's stance and what is the portrayal and message we are trying to portray and convey to the rest of the world, being the leaders in how we want this world to move in a moral and positive direction. And of course, Tyo and I got into, you know, a little bit of Twitter talk, Lionel Messi versus Cristiano Ronaldo, who's the better player, who's the better legacy. So I'm not even going to get into telling you guys to go subscribe and do all that just. We're just going to jump right into today's episode with my good friend, Tyra Roxon. Okay. We started off this conversation very interesting. You sitting in over there, we're doing this one over the phone, listening to me, listen to all my different news and media sources. And, you know, for a second I thought like, oh, wow. This is, he, he's just listening in right now. He's just trying to get some inside intel. Yeah. What's going on? It, it was so funny because I, I could see you. I could hear what was going on in your end. And I could just see that you were really involved in that. And I kept waving, clapping, yelling. And I was like, okay, maybe you send me a message. Let me go on Instagram. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then uh, I saw the, you know, I sent you the Zoom. I was like, well, I'm on the Zoom. Uh, but but it, was, it was interesting, though, because, the, you know, those moments when people don't think they're watching, you can really tell a lot about them. And I, uh, I, I'm afraid to tell you, uh, you're not the shady person you present, to, you present yourself to be. So <laughs> you're, kind of, you're kind of a good guy. Yeah. Sorry, sorry about that. Yeah, <laughs> that's the crazy thing. I think everybody thinks I'm a nice guy or a good person. It's more of me, you know, that that inner ego uh, that just tells you, you know, like, hey, you're not a good person. You're not doing enough. You could be doing so much more. And there's really right. not enough you could potentially doing. But, you know, I'm here today with Tyra Roxon, keynote speaker, um, author. And uh, what other titles are you going by these days? Well, um, <laughs> I always describe myself as a, you know, a consultant, writer, uh, speaker, uh, whose mission is to really teach people how to connect across uh, cultures. So, but I mean, I do a lot of things in the creative world. It's is what got much like you do. And then led to speaking, which led to consulting and coaching. And I've been writing since I was 15 and I'm 29 now, about to be 30. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. October, right? October. Look at you. Yeah. October 30. Yeah. Those concussions won't let me down, man. They're knocking to knock me down. <laughs> Recall yeah. like a, I don't even know what to compare that to. <laughs> well, I, 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 I certainly hope that, you know, they don't, I mean, you play basketball. So I, I don't know, was concussions, were concussions a 
big deal in basketball? I know it's more with football and boxing. No, it's again, I'm just that lunatic on the floor going, you know, short guy. And then once you get by even bigger and stronger guys, once you hit that professional level, yeah. you get bounced off like a ping pong ball even more, especially, you know, the faster you move, the higher you jump. Yeah. That momentum equation, my favorite one in physics, you know, mass times velocity, it's just big for a equal more and more power. And so, yeah, I just took some tumbles, you know, gotten some scraps on the court. And, uh, you know, you always put your beak every which way you can on the court. And when you put your beak in places you shouldn't, bam, bam. Yeah. Got hits, hits. And, yeah, they just stacked up. And now it just was time to start something new. So here I am in this uh, creative world and creative space. Oh, look, I, I'm so looking forward to the day we, we get your book and we do your podcast because I'm fascinated with the basketball aspect of your life, that, that particular version in your life and, and the, the hustle, the games, the playing, the, the preparation it took there. Because like I, I told you when we met in person, I, I think it's a great metaphor for life itself. But uh, there's an interesting parallel that sports has uh, when, you, when you dive into that. But that, that, don't, let me, don't let me get into this nerdy, nerdy aspect of myself. But, uh, it's, it's not nerdy. If anything, more guys like me need to hear this, especially athletes, especially moving in life after sports. A lot of guys who take, who go from this, there's, life was one way. They really don't know how to harness and harbor those skills that right. they had and you made that point you know how great sports is and i'm not a third culture kid uh tck you know something uh you you are and you harbor on uh you know connecting with a lot of those individuals yeah. around the world is you know being dropped off and dropped in so many different places like in south florida where i, where I grew up playing basketball you know my mom dropped me off in this area Martin Luther King Center. And I didn't think anything of it. It was just the Martin Luther King Center, and I'm playing basketball with these guys, you know? Yeah. So a little, little rough area and rough neighborhood, you know? Walking through these my friends' places to the project. I was nine years old, just like it was like it was nothing, you know? And having that, you know, availability at that young age, you know, you still kind of already written down in your mind all your, you know, biases and, you know, your thoughts and how you perceive the world. But mm -hmm. it really helped me, you know, really not look at the world in any shape or form like oh this is just a guy and this is just a girl over here and together we're either gonna play basketball i'm gonna do this with them or not and it was really interesting um that as a young young man how that helped shape me and to you know look at people and want to go travel and see the world and once i did go travel you know you know i don't really practice judaism you know but after going and living in israel becoming a citizen didn't finish that process and then wanting to go live in kuwait my family and friends were just, you are going, what? Yeah. Insane. Where? Whoa. Don't <laughs> do that. What are you going to do to yourself? Don't you know your heritage? <laughs> I thought I had done enough crazy things for my family to say, okay, Brandon's just going off of this part of the world now. But they were just like, be, like we can't even tell you to be careful at this point. What are you doing? <laughs> I know it's so interesting what happens when you really expose yourself to the world and when you find that common ground because you're like wait I was taught this but everybody really just has this one common goal to live and to protect their family and just feel to love enjoy. yeah love feel love we all want that oh man uh, so interesting with that yeah for sure huh. yeah and 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 I, I think the same thing for me always happened I remember <laughs> I grew up Christian so when we first moved to Burkina Faso, which is a French-speaking country in, uh, in uh, West Africa, and Nigeria is an English-speaking country, so it, it was, you know, the, the story I always tell, a skinny Nigerian kid with thick Nigerian accent in a French-speaking country in American international school going through puberty. And 
<clears throat> what happens in international schools is you have diplomatic kids, you have missionary kids, and you have a bunch of people from different backgrounds. So there were a bunch of missionary kids that I really connected with, which is, they, you know, they introduced me to the game of basketball, one in particular, Michael Albright. And he invited me to youth group. And uh, my mom, uh, my, poor, my poor mom, who I love so much, she hadn't really heard of what youth group was. I had never heard of it too, but it's just then you bring a lot of people from, you know, that are you know, believers and they, they go meet up. And she would not let me go for the longest because she thought it was a, was a, was a cult. <laughs> it, was a, it was like, no, 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 you're not going to go anywhere. What, what are you doing? I, I'm just going to think I'm going to leave you by yourself with all these kids. I've never seen them before. And, and it took a while for, for me to be like, Mom, we're a bunch of Christians. We're going to read the Bible. And then we'll maybe <laughs> sing some songs. And then we'll come back home. It's really just 10 minutes there. It's like, ah, you know. But it was just this cultural thing where in Nigeria, a lot of times parents are very, they want to know everything you're doing, especially at that young of an age. And, and, and the idea of that, that freedom of expression is like, well, where are you going to learn things that I've never taught you? And that could pollute your mind, mm-hmm. you know, get that way. So just on that small level, uh, I remember having to deal with that. Yeah. <coughs> Definitely can see that, you know, in American history and just, you know, a lot of people so, like want to think, you know, American history starts at 1945. Ah, you know, we look, but we'll just talk about that on the scale economically, you know, after, you know, this rise to uh, <coughs> uh, whatever you want to call it, uh, different industries that provide America with a lot of success to be on the, this global level, economically and socially. Um, and yeah, you know, just, hey, kids ran outside. They could do what they want. They could be what they want. And this, like, protection of saying, hey, if you kids get kidnapped or these things happen, it seems like we, we believe that the world, I mean, maybe in the United States, this world is a bubble. You know, mm-hmm. we have these two oceans that still really keep us, you know, cut off from the world in terms of, you know, whether it's war or a lot of, you know, even disease and the way it could spread is that, you know, we think that nothing ever bad's going to happen and we don't even want to put it in our minds. And when it does, we're just in, we set ourselves up for like just a big explosion over here. Yeah. When something does happen and those news and media sources really play well on our worst fears, which, which is really for us anything here. Well, if you think about it, I think the media has played a big role in and defining our fears. I mean, you and I are like essentially the same age. And the, the big thing that happened in our, during our time was 9-11, right? It was, it was that was the, the big thing. I, I remember where I was, um, we had, you know, since Burkina Faso is ahead of the United States, we had just gone out of school, but I think it was, it was early in the morning here. But that, you know, when you think about all the movies that came out of that, the comedy jokes and everything, when you started to hear like, a Muslim prayer or a sound a licking or any of these things that were, were remotely Arabic, you started to see this fear arise because in the movies that, that meant the person was about to do something bad. Or if someone's on a plane and someone has a, you know, a turban or a, or a head wrap or a hijab, you start to say, you know, and, and you see, you hear all these stories and I'm like, wait, where, when did this become like, a big fear. Well, who essentially defined that? What movies? And I was like, yeah, this is in every movie, every TV show, every recording where you paint a broad stroke and define a whole group of people basically as potentially terrorists. And so your, your, your senses are heightened and you just see that all the time. And I have a lot of Muslim friends who will tell you that after that, their 
classmates started to react differently. You know, Asam Minaj, the, the comedian, he said that was when someone came to his, his house and they like stoned the, the, the window or something, you know, and like something to the effect of go back to your country, which is very reminiscent of, <laughs> of recent events here. But all these things are, you know, they to our, our worst biases, but I, I, I find that when we, we feed into those biases without getting to work through them or even understanding why we think that way, it, it, we just automatically default to our worst impulses. And it's just horrible because it's dehumanizing. Well, I mean, if it could relate to anything, I think it would be something biologically or just, you know, people are doing this because they have fear. And oh, yeah. the way they can, again, it's misguided fear, I believe. You know, where yeah. is this coming from? Is every person like this? Again, mm -hmm. there are evil people, but where can I set the balance and to look at a complete stranger? But I mean, you know, just 500 years ago, tomorrow, some people could run up over a hill and find your village or your town and it might be burned to the ground. That's true. And I yeah. mean, it takes so long evolutionarily to mm -hmm. break down. I mean, just like those little things in your head. I mean, we, we talk about um, with inner city moms, the amount of stress and trauma that's passed on to somebody uh, who's something they're uh, carrying in their womb and that stress gets passed on to them. And I mean, that, that aggression or whatever, you know, harmful tendencies that come from being a very high stress life, we're passing that down hereditarily. We're able to, you know, understand that that happens now. So getting people that have already gone through maybe even more crazy time, crazy stress as adults and as human beings that already didn't have those things passed down to them from their families. You know, I, 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 like everybody, I think everybody feels this way. And that's a big, big, big inference right there. I'm going to point that out. That everybody wants to see the change. They, they don't not just want to see the change they want to be in the world, but they want it, they want it to happen now. They want to happen in their lifetime. They don't want to win yeah. on those little small victories yeah. that happen. Because I think we're living in the most inclusive time that's ever been around in history. It's, it's the most inclusive. You know, you want to say mm -hmm. that it's definitely not where we want it. You know, this is just a linear movement pattern. Hopefully it stays linear and hopefully it keeps going up. However, I mean, we could say what, what's going up, what's going down right now. However, when we get it to this point, where do we get it to? You know, because I think a lot of people don't even understand the word inclusive. I'm not even going to say it. I would say for your inclusivity. I, I don't know. I mean, I know you say we are in the most inclusive time. I, I mean, I hope you're right. I'm not sure, but I have to do more research. What time would be a little bit more? Like as an award. No, no, as in, as in, yeah, because their stats show this is the safest time ever, and, and that's and that's true. But you know what inclusiveness means to me? It's it's the ability to be yourself without judgment. That when you can do that in the workplace, when you can do that at school, you can do that in your friend group. Because you got to think about inclusiveness from a political, societal level and social level, right? You know, can you go out without someone joking about something of your culture, heritage, and it's it's like I can't. Oh if I say something, you're being too sensitive or PC. Is it politically, uh, you know, uh, against your, your interest to say something? Because if you say one word, you're like saying the enemy. What, what about institutionally? You know, all these things. And so what I'm noticing, especially when I talk to more people of color, people that are or of the, in different backgrounds or people in the LGBTQ community where we have, you know, certain people who have not had the ability or the the platforms to express themselves until now and then when they when they do that sometimes you know you still have the the traumas that you have to relive 
through everyday, everyday experiences, something in the news, something that was that used to be said as a joke before, like the F word referring to the people in the LGBTQ community and then coming up or, or comedy or just going to a bus sign or hearing a political leader say something. I, I just don't know that we do enough <laughs> to acknowledge that because every time I, I bring these things up, what I always hear is, well, your, your generation, man, you know, you know, back in my day, we could just say anything. We had tough kids. I want to about your accent. The, the, the joke is good too, but your accent was fantastic. <laughs> oh, thank you. And, and I, always, I always push back and say, wait, do you want to get back to insulting people? Ah, oh, it's not like that. That's not what I'm saying. But, you know, we just used to take things. And, and I'm like, we used to take things. And, but now we have people who are more willing to express themselves. And so if they tell us that they are not fine with that, we should be able to move past that and not fight for that so maybe to your point yes it is more inclusive in that sense where in the past if you had said something you could have been potentially hanged <laughs> or, or, or killed um yeah, but you know it's just i it's, it's why i wrote the book because I, I feel like we don't know how to uh connect enough and i think that's really what humans want to do they want to connect to themselves and connect to others and when we are at a disconnect with our highest selves, we just become the worst versions. And then when we don't have people to connect to, we become um, like lonely and, and just we start to do horrible things. <laughs> I think about in, incels. I didn't even know what incels was until like a three, was it was a year or two ago when I was, I was doing a masculinity uh, speech. And I, I, I need to look it up to make sure I understand the definition. But it, it's something about uh, celebrating men who are really angry uh, and, and not getting attention from women. Um, and then it, it's, it's this crazy thing. Um, okay. Incels are. Oh, the incels. Oh yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Members right. of an online subculture who define themselves as unable to find a romantic partner or sexual partner, despite desiring one. And, and so, you know, they, they say they're largely white, almost exclusively male heterosexuals, but it, it, goes across those lines and I was like <laughs> how are we going to ch channel this this loneliness and this this thing into something hateful you know so there's no um, guide to explain to people how to just move past that fear yeah. and ignorance and hate so yeah well I mean you mentioned the you know and, and my point going off of this being the most inclusive time because people ha everybody has a soapbox now almost everybody I think there's a lot of people that don't have their voices heard um that's the most unique thing, you know, I, 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 maybe it's the optimist in me that says, Hey, these, these aren't like, you know, terrible times. These are just the most, these are like puberty times. you know, everybody just shuffling shoulders pain. now, knee pain happening, you know, what, what was it? I mean, we're, we, we'd like to think we're so sophisticated humans, you know, but you go to the doctor and we're looking at x-rays and you see a space between your bones. Like, Oh, this is room for growth here. Like we still look at things like in such a, yeah. <laughs> like rudimental way. And, yeah. you know, the fact that everybody has that soapbox is great. And the fact is, you know, you know, it, it, it's, it's not great when you hear those insults and reactions, and, but it's still, it's, it's, it's the, co the community or the culture just doesn't exist still that, you know, someone comes out and they say, Hey, this is how I feel, you know, pussy. Yeah. Oh, you're there. Sorry. I can't skate around. Like you said, with the F word and the LGBT, you said that so well right there. Like, Oh uh, no, I'm trying. Look, I, I, I don't want to, you know, yeah, but you know, I'm still, I still have a lot to learn myself. Trying not to, I don't want to trigger anyone because I always want to be mindful of that. But sometimes you, you're right. If you want, 
it can be hard to explain if you don't say it, if someone doesn't know what the F word is, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, everybody wants to insult you right back because they don't believe, you know, what you're saying, you know, has any place. It's not, it's not a sign of strength. And I'm yeah. learning this too, because I'm the worst at this being vulnerable on yeah. just any facet. Like I am just terrible at it. I can't even give myself a victory or give somebody else a compliment or pat on the back. And but apparently that like, Again, see, I just even said it right there. Apparently, no, it's just a real sign of strength, just being able to tap into that and to express it that is. and be whether you're doing that through storytelling or having someone know that, hey, what this person doing is a sign of courage and a sign of bravery. But yeah. we want to, the next wave of evolution, I think, is there's not going to be something, you know, physically. We're, we're, we're changing people's bodies, getting them faster and stronger. But it's going to be something like, not spiritually too, or either, you know. So. I think spiritually too. Yeah. It's, you know, trying to get everybody, you know, not this, not, there's not a thing about countries anymore. We're thinking about like wavelengths of everybody on the planet working towards the same direction. Like, Hey, yeah. we are, you know, the planet and we will all want, but it's so hard to get everybody not to think the same way, but to be working towards that common thing. Because I mean, that's the idea with, that's a, that's a battle of ideas right now. It we is. say that, Hey, if you're Donald Trump, you have no good intention at all. You are racist. You are this and that. And then if you are Omar or AOC, no, you are just ruining this country and you're trying to make it the worst place ever and you only have evil intentions. And it's yeah. just this battle of, hey, what do I think is a good idea? Yeah. And some of those things are exclusive. They are exclusive to certain groups. Or I think even this movement of, I'm going to, inclusivity. I can't <laughs> say that. <laughs> Inclusivity. <laughs> Inclusivity, there we go. Yeah, yeah. Is that how, how do we, how do we make it work for both parties? Because, you know, are we uh, being exclusive when we tell people, tell the majority to deal with it? When we're, all we're trying to do with being in inclusive, inclusive is saying, hey, everybody has a platform. Everybody has a voice. And because, yeah. again, it, it's that old idea that everybody just gets scared. Oh, no, no, no. If there's, you know, a black superhero. Oh, no. Black superhero. It's over. It's done. But oh, Black Little Mermaid. <laughs> God. Um I just got back into Twitter. It's fantastic, but it's also just, you, you'll get sucked up. So it's interesting for me because yeah, I'm, I, I share your optimism. I've always had, I'm always energetic. I always describe myself. I think I describe myself more as an angry optimist. You know, I'm an optimist with a mission and I'm reminding people of our better instances. I do honestly feel like we default to the easiest emotion, right? It's easier to fear, to hate and to react that way, but it's harder to love and to find common ground. And uh, that that might that might not that might sound like a complex thing for people to say, but I, I have noticed it, it is harder to love because loving involves releasing your ego and understanding that you might not be right. And the idea that you might not be right or your way might not be the only way is something that many of us have not uh, reconciled with for the longest times. So whether it's with men understanding that women need more more space to be free, you know the whole the, you know the old ways of flirting don't work, or whether it's people in the workplace in Silicon Valley understanding that there needs to be more diverse ideas in the room. And it's not just a, a boys club that, that looks like a certain demographic. And like, whoa, you're going to take our jobs. It's not that we live in a world of nuance governed by binary systems to, 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 uh, to, to take your point where we're in a world of extremes. And so I always think it always starts internally. Every one of us, we have to look internally to see, where that hole in the bone between the bones are where is our room for growth what are our biases 
what are our values? Are we living those things out? And then what are our biases that we can work through? We, we just need to be honest with ourselves. And then when we start with from that place, we, we start to see, okay, this is what I need to do in order to expose myself and normalize those type of experiences. And as I do that, I can start to expand my, my worldview. Traveling for you, as I imagine, expose you to a different world than you would never have been exposed to if you had stayed you know, in one place. But that's the amazing thing of what experiencing different worlds can do to you. You could hear from other people informed by their biases, or you can experience other people informed by your experiences. And that's a subtle difference, right? It, 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 it's, it's just something that it's not practiced. And when you're in a, in a world that you haven't really had to fight for your freedom much, it's easy for you to, to hear resistance and think that that's just troublemaking or it's just like people not buying into meritocracy or people being lazy. And I think that's just kind of where we are in, in, this, in this type of uh, world where, as Mark Marin once said, he says he thinks uh, there's one political party who is, um, whose motto is never apologize. And then the other political, the, the other motto of the other political party is, um, um, you know, you can, you can uh, basically never forgive. So never apologize, but just never get, forgive. One is looking for a perfect candidate and one is just without, I don't care. I'm just going to be unapologetic who I am. And it's, 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 it's hurting both parties. No, I, I mean, you say this in one of your talks, um, and I think you're fantastic at doing this yourself, is, is finding that voice that can reach both majority and minorities, you know, oh, like you're saying, you. and people and in politics. I, you have my vote, you know, for whatever, uh, you know, <laughs> system you run for. You know, you got to finish your book or you put the book out and then we'll talk. Yeah, I'll put the book. I, I don't know. You know, ironically, I don't even think I'm good in politics. I think I'm more, I'm better in this field we're in because I feel like I'll be stifled. One of my, one of my biggest values is, is freedom. And, um, you know, I, for the longest time, I was never... I had this big identity crisis. I didn't know I wasn't like enough of anything. And so as I grew older and channeled <laughs> all that insecure, all those insecurities, it became more helping people become who they are. So I always say, use your difference to make a difference. I was, it was more about that. And I feel like if I'm in politics, I'll, you know, I might have to <laughs> concede a few aspects of myself. Well, your values here or your thoughts here. So I don't know. I like the private sector. <laughs> well, tell me about your experience. You know, you're an African man and, you know, coming into America and then also, you know, dealing with African-Americans. I'm, I'm sure were you, you know, accepted, were you brought in, uh, taken in, were you, you know, sought yeah. out? Like you said, you had this identity crisis. And I know you didn't always live in America. Right. Yeah. I've, I've lived in Nigeria, Vietnam, Sweden, Burkina Faso, the United States. And uh, the differences really started in Burkina Faso there. I, you know, I had only, I'd only grown up in a predominantly you know, black nation before, but we had, you know, a rich culture of a different sort, you know, English is the official language, but there are over 250 ethnic groups. And my tribe was, you know, is rather Nigeria. Uh, it's, sorry, it's Yoruba. And so I'm a Yoruba guy. And I remember coming to, <laughs> to um, Burkina Faso and the thing was, uh, my accent was funny. My food smelled weird. Um, I didn't play all the sports that they played. I only played, uh, you know, what I called football, but they call soccer, I guess, so soccer. <laughs> and so I had to learn, in order to fit in, I had to learn basketball, which ultimately became my, my favorite sport, basketball. I, I fell in love with tennis, which is my other uh, sport. And then obviously, you know, soccer will always be right there with me. And so I learned that and that was a way to fit in. I had to, you know, I was like, I find myself changing different parts of my voice. I became really good at mimicking voice you know, different accents from different regions. 
It's funny, uh, I'm pretty decent at that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Accents or just like listening so closely to someone talk. Yeah. Okay, let me turn this frequency in my head and my mind or change, pinch this vocal cord. Yeah. I can, you know, replicate that voice. I, that's, I, can, I can see it too. And, and, and I understand why. And I just, I, it, it was something I started to get really good at in order to make sure to fit in. Because at that age, you don't want to stand out. I mean, that's the last thing you want to do. You, you, it's, it was already a very small school. It was about 120 people from pre-K to 12. You know, like everybody knew everybody. So <laughs> I didn't. So what I did was in order to mask my insecurities, I became this jokester and, and the, the athlete. So I was like, I was just joking. I, anything that anything happened, I would just laugh it off or do histrionics. I'm already a goofy person, but I, I accentuated it even more just so that people, you know, I wanted to, people to know me for something. And that was the one way. And I, it was, it, it made me feel less vulnerable. The more challenging one, I think, though, was when I came back to Nigeria. I came back to Nigeria and I went to Hogwarts. And I went to boarding school. <laughs> um, and I wasn't Nigerian enough anymore. And this was from 10th to 12th grade. And that was very, it was challenging because I am Nigerian. <laughs> right, right. And to be, to be made to feel like you're a hidden immigrant is, is just a weird feeling because that's the only password I have. And it wasn't even like I was like seen as a lower person. It was, I was a higher, you know, sometimes like, oh, this guy has got an American accent now and he plays basketball, plays all the sports. He's, he's really cool. And I was put on this weird pedestal. I just wanted to be on this. And then in the boarding school, the, the boys stay in one area and the girls stay in one area. So I was in, in the boys dorm and I was just hitting puberty and the boys hated me. And, and the, the, the girls started to, for the first time in my life, pay attention to me. And so... I remember coming back home one time because I was a little bigger than, than most of the boys in my, in my class. They couldn't physically bully me, but they had cut up all my shorts and my clothes and put up lotion on them. And I was like, wow, this is, it was still to this day, I don't know who did it, but you know, the, 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 the CEO of the school had to come take me and had me live in her, her house for, for like the weekend because I had just literally come into the school and this was my experience. And she was like, oh no, we can't have, this new kid spreading, you know, uh, bad things. We need to make sure he has a good experience. But that was my initial experience. It was almost like this weird hazing thing that they had to do, but except they couldn't physically do anything to me, but they wanted to psychologically break me down and be like, you, you are not one of us. Uh, and even though those people like you, you don't have to live with them. You live with us. Um, but finding, finding the strength to be myself there was really when I decided what I'm doing right now. I, I think it was at the age of 17, I decided to just stop. <laughs> trying to fit into everyone, everyone's idea, because I realize I'll, I'll keep changing. So going from that pendulum swing of trying to fit into, I guess, a Western way of what the world is considers beautiful to trying to be accepted in my way, uh, that, that's really what informed me to, to really try and, and, and be unapologetically you know, myself and be vulnerable. And you'll see a lot of times in my stories, I, I, I dance when I dance, I share when I share, uh, you know, I love my cartoons as much as my superhero stories, as much as talking about Ranathan. And I'm not happy. I'm not afraid to be, you know, a heterosexual man who is an ally for the LGBTQ community. I'm not afraid to, to dress up in, in, in whatever way, uh, you know, I guess suits or I guess, what do they call it? Metrosexuals like David Beckham. I don't know. People that wear stuff. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, and I'm not afraid of what people will call me because I know who I am. And uh, that took a while for me to get, uh, to get there. Uh, and then I eventually came to America for, for, for um, school and people just would not believe that I was Nigerian. It was just like, 
your English is too good. There's no way. Like, how can you be so articulate? Uh, but you know, um, the freedom I had in- a knock on on you being from Africa, or did you feel like that was like a you know bias that other people had? It was a combination of both. As as you said, a lot of people think the history starts in 1945. A lot of people think Black history starts with slavery here. A lot of people don't actually understand that there's a big world outside. And so their perception of what Africa is is sometimes reduced to a country or uh, an exaggerated stereotype or caricature of some commercial appears after midnight to save the kids. And so the idea that someone from from a country in Africa, Nigeria, could wear clothes and and operate in an English in English world was was a little perplexing from them, and I, I I didn't understand that until it became teachers and roommates and and people that I would think would know these things that were asking me questions. Um, but I mean, but it plays into you know I you know to some extent I guess you can understand if everybody comes to America or the West for in their mind you know they've like everybody comes here for success. So why do I need to understand the world? You know, Hollywood is here, the music industry is here. You know, pop culture is defined here according to, to the world. So there's nothing else in the world except us. Uh, you become very ethnocentric. Uh, but um, all those combination of things really evolved into me just sharing my stories, which by, by uh, virtue of doing that, I started to have a community of people who started to email me privately and say, hey, I grew up the same way. Uh, thank you for saying that. I didn't know how to articulate that the way you did, but you, that was my experience. And then... I said, maybe there's something here. <laughs> and then uh, I started doing what I do. Yeah, that's, it's a big thing uh, on my message of what I want to do and who I want to be is, you know, right. I really, really want Americans in particular to really understand their place in the world. And we have such a big responsibility, I believe, that, you know, you can't be ethnocentric in this time. You can't think that, you know, what happens in, someplace in florida or someplace in missouri or new york even as they even think new york city uh dwellers like they just don't understand their importance to the rest of the world i mean i remember i tell a story i coached this coaching these girls and some of them you know had hijabs on this is in kuwait um, and it's all girls class you know and i'm i'm a man and these girls you know are 12 13 years old and it's like you know how standoffish how close i mean these things are always had to run through your mind it's it's just the culture and something you had to do it wasn't you know like everybody thought Hey, death tribunal coming because you you stared or accidentally, you accidentally touched one of them, you know, to teach them something. It was right. more, and you know, I had this girl, and she's asking me because Coachella is going on. And this is a 12, 13 year old girl, Coach Brandon, Coach Brandon. Do you know Coachella? You're like, yeah, I know Coachella. I have a bunch of friends. They're probably there right now. And, oh my God, you know these people, and like something so small as like people in America attending a music festival, and these artists coming there to perform yeah. a certain style of music or portray a certain message or whether their brand is or what's going on in the world that they don't see as right or they see as uh, they see as right or as wrong is just it's insane in the way the world is connected today. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you know, just to to see people how how great they have it, how great they have it here, and still. I mean, that is, you know, the flaw and fault of just being human itself. You know, whether things are as great or as bad as they are, we really don't get to reflect and see, you know, the incredible things that we get to do and how that ripple effect we have as American citizens to the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as, as a kid of, you know, I mean, we, I, you know, I don't know if I shared, I grew up in two dictatorships before we started traveling, but 
So I spent the first nine years of my life in a dictatorship where there was a lot of censorship. But once we had access to TV, it was, it, we, we wanted to know everything about America. How long know? did that dictatorship go? It was in Nigeria, correct? Oh, yeah. So Nigeria's had dictators for a long period of time, way before I was born. You know, we were got an independence in 1960, and then we had maybe a brief civilian role, and there was several military junctas and coups and counter coups. Yeah. But when I was born, I was born in 89, um, it was 89 and 99, um, and then we transitioned to civilian rule. So, um, and, and it was just, uh, you know, uh, and now we've maintained that, but. You guys developed a great counterculture out of the uh, music wise, out of the military dictatorship. Oh oh big Fela Kuti fan. So. Yeah, Fela Kuti, that's my dad's favorite. Fela Kuti is, is, a, is, a, is a revolutionary in, in that sense. And there were a lot of, you know, um, no, uh, you know literal uh, literature uh, novel novelists who really came out, Chinua Achebe, um, Ole Shrenka, all these people who were great. But what I was trying to say was that once we got access to TV, it was what's happening in New York. Like New York is the, the place. What's happening in New York and maybe LA and sometimes, you know, Chicago or when, when Will Smith came out with Welcome to Miami, like Miami is cool too. But, <laughs> but, but, but I'm, I'm serious. And then even when I went to, when I went to Brooklyn Faster, it was always every person that comes that's not, a, that's not an American, they study American or Western culture in addition to their culture by just like a way to, because they want to find a way to fit in. That's just how that is. It's not the other way around <laughs> where you study your culture in addition to other, to, to other countries' culture. So I think that's where, you know, the disconnect is. It's just, you know, there's that curiosity because you want to maybe to make sure that you show you, you belong to and you understand this and all that. Um, so, yeah. Do you think 9-11 like just really played a role at reversing the way we want to portray a message around the world? Because I think before that, oh, you talk about like radio-free Europe, everything, you know, in the Cold War. And you'd see, like, I think that was one of the big defactors of, you know, huh. communism in Russia. It's like once they had TV or they're hearing over the radio, radio for Europe. I had a guy who used to work um, with them, um, James Kirchick out of Yale and wow. works at the Brooklyn Institution now for foreign policy. And, you know, you're just sending these messages, you know, whether it's pop culture, whether it's in music. And then once people finally started t- getting TV and getting the signal and say, oh, wait, we're practicing this thing over here. And living like this, and they're living like this over there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know about this message that we're doing. And <laughs> happens, and you see this total reverse of just you know hardship, military, heavy, 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 heavy military. Right. The way in order to exemplify your message, whether it's economically, or socially, culturally, it's through military strength. And I, I think we're we're still in that like we're going almost twenty years now, but like that's the message that we're still trying to portray. Yeah. Our I mean, way or the highway kind of thing. I, I definitely think that's still the message. I think even before 9-11, that was the message. It was just, it became, I just, I just noticed like an even greater height and sense of urgency to find someone to blame, right? If you remember 9-11, there was the war and it was, we need to, we're going to, you know, find, <laughs> we're going to, if we have to start a war, we're going to find that person. And then uh, it, it was interesting with that because, we as humans, we, we need something to believe in, right? And if you put a face or, or, on, on an enemy and you rally a, a troop of people against that, you have a galvanizing force that can be unstoppable. Look at the George Bush elections. I mean, you, 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 it was you know, based off of, of a lot of those things. I mean, Look, God did want him to invade. I mean, I, God talked to him. 
there you go. There you go. And you say that, and obviously, um, uh, you know, it, it, I, I, I always, I always love when people can rally around something and people can, can make sure that they, uh, they unite to fight evil. But then I always want people to caution themselves that is, are you quick to believe something because you need hope or are you going to investigate that? Same thing with the 2016 elections. No, the reaction, the reactionaries are way too fast. In our yeah, country. it's so fast. Like, because the, the things that people were saying in 2016 elections that were won the election, I was like, these things are actually not, it's not logical for coal to be, it's not, you're not going to keep the job, no matter what anyone's saying. We're moving towards automated, all these things, all these things. But people that felt heard just felt like this person hears us, so we're going to vote for him. And it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It really didn't matter. You had to believe in this person over the, the, the other person. And, and that's a very scary place that we as humans can get when we need to believe someone and someone knows how to tap into that emotion and basically say, these are, these are the, this is the reason for all your, your, your mishap. Um, then you, you become a pawn in a lot of people's games. And I, and, and I always want people to be, to be mindful of that. I think what we don't practice enough of is critical thinking in today's world. I mean, it's just what it is. We, we just don't understand why we believe what we believe and why we act the way we act. We just operate based on the things we've been conditioned to do and we don't challenge those conditions, uh, which is dangerous. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that's where this you know, upcoming election is going to be really interesting. That, you know, whether it's Trump doing, continuing what he's doing, um, the 20 or so different Democratic um, candidates who are, um, who are battling and vying for that spot, you know, because if I, I look at things on a very black and white scale. I'll say like, hey, how many people are here and how many people are here? And so the majority of people are white people. Well, how many people are voting or how many people are Trump going after to say, hey, I'm white. You're, you're white, you should vote for me. And how mm. many on, and let's say, I think it's 60 or 70% of the population is still a majority of white, or maybe, it's, I think it's probably less now because the Latino population is, or you know, was predicted even passed by this 2020 census coming up right now, or to be the largest minority. And then all these different groups. And I think you know, people get, look at it funny when they say like, hey, why are you going after or putting such a strong message on people that don't, rack up or mark up a large percentage of the population what about me what about this why aren't you covering my message i feel left out i feel this i feel that this guy's saying the things i want to hear and i think that's just it's just only making it more polarizing to this fact yeah. i think relying on a person you know a leader i mean no, no one can let's say rule manage we'll call it 350 million people i mean the fact that we're like you know, we're just looking at a few ideas, like how, how ancient those ideas are. Oh, there's space between your bones. You're going to grow a little bit more. Like, hey, you know, the, even the way we look at things, God told me to go to war. I mean, that's, that's Constantine right there. You know, the year 315 in the Byzantine Empire. Like, hey, God spoke to me. I saw a cross. We're all Catholic now and we're all converting. I mean, we're, we're not so disconnected and far off. And the fact that, you know, that we can hear all these messages now, we forget the idea that we're still dealing with people. Yeah, that's and the thing. That you don't move like the technology or, or the mm -hmm. ideas. It's we're still dealing with people and it's so hard to see progress and change in people. It, you're, you're, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. We are dealing with people. And if you look back throughout any history, um, and I say, I say this in the book, but I say um, throughout history, our biggest flaw has been our inability to handle differences. 
right? The cause of any war is because of anyone that's different, different religion, different tribe, different skin color, different soccer football team, whatever, different, different tribe or anything that was just different. And so the way we've reacted throughout that in history is to either eliminate them, squash them, divide them, make sure that we find a way to, to rule force assimilation, you know, uh, <laughs> cause this, this different things. And it's happened across every, every level of, of, so, of social, you know, religion or politics, every, every political level of those things like that. And, and I've, I've been, I've been, to, I've studied that for most of my life, why we feel that uncomfortable with difference. And, and it, it's just, I think we feel threatened a lot of times. We feel like um, that, you know, they're going to take away something of ours, whether it's imagined or real. And it's, it's, it, it puts you in a place where you feel like you have to fight for something. And when you find something that you have to fight for, that can be masked as purpose, right? It's like, this is my, my, <laughs> my purpose. And I have to make sure that, that this way is the only way. And because it's, if, it, and if it's the only way, I'm actually doing them a favor. <laughs> I mean, and as I'm doing them a favor, their generations will thank me for this. Uh, it's just, that's where we get there. And now we have, we don't have extreme levels of that in some places, but if we don't check ourselves, you know, that's, that's where you have those chants that you heard recently. <laughs> Well, I mean, we are the lost generation as millennials. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah, here we go. I, I kind of like to call ourselves that, the lost generation. <laughs> you know, that, that generation who was just handed the internet and said, hey, here you go. This dial-up thing, this speed, this DSL, and now it's just in the pocket of your hand and figure out what to do with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, your parent, my parents have no idea kind of what I do for work. I mean, they just can't, they're not old by any sorts or means, yeah. you know, but they're just like, Okay, wow, that's great you're doing that. I have no idea what a microphone and your podcast comes up on my phone now and I watch your videos and you're, you know, collecting bottles and cans with, you know, people who subsidize their income on this. Like, okay, what, <laughs> how do you make money? Same. And, um, you know, it, it, we're, it's, it's such a fruitful, going to be, I think, a fruitful time, you know, in 10, 20 years. I, I like to think, you know, everybody's- I believe, I believe so we were this generation and then nothing really happened. They, they got lost in, you know, what are their ways not turn the term sold out. Cause that's a, that's a stretch, but you know, when we get into these executive positions and powers and companies, I like your opinion on this. Um, you know, when millennials do, I think that millennials under them, that Gen Z are just going to see so many different levels of way money is going to be spent and yeah. distributed. Um, you know, not just in executive roles in companies or just in businesses themselves, but just, you know, the ideas that are going to be put forth. You know, hey, we, we had the internet. We know what we're doing. We, we kind of got an idea and grasp of this. We think, you know, money should be spent here. Because like you said, we're still dealing with a very old way. Of, yeah. and, and again, that goes, uh, you know, not just in politics. That's in a lot of film and in media. Like, hey, yeah, why do we need a black cowboy? I mean, we had enough cowboys, but like, like, again, it's thinking outside that message. It's thinking outside yeah. of like, hey, how does this only affect me? You know, thinking about that ripple effect to yeah. not even just the rest of the world, but now you got to think a generation or two. The next people who are going to watch this, consume this ideas. What are they going to think of it? What can they do with it? So my greatest hero, uh, unfortunately, I couldn't meet him, but it was the late, great Nelson Mandela. And uh, I, st- I started studying him when, I, when we were in a dictatorship uh, just because he was the closest person to look like me 
in terms of color who was fighting for something. I was like, oh, there's hope. We can actually, I wasn't sure we'd ever get out of a dictatorship. We just sort of be gotten used to the <laughs> suppression of rights. <laughs> and so um, as I studied him and I saw what he did, uh, you know, the, the idea of, of coming back to, to coming out from jail, coming, get, letting go of um, his hate and really seeking reconciliation and the bigger picture of understanding how white South Africans and black South Africans have to work together. I was like, how do you get to this place after being 27 years in jail and you're not bitter? And what I really learned was uh, the importance of big picture thinking from him. And I, I liken that to our generation of Gen Zers. When it comes to climate change, when it comes to diversity and inclusion and all these things that are easily going to affect us in the future, in the near future, but because but the effects are not you know immediately felt. I've noticed a lot of people just seem to pass it off to be like, that's tomorrow's issue. And we, because of the, because of that lack of sense of urgency, we ignore it, but by ignoring it, we actually heighten the consequences. We're in the hottest summer now in, in New York. This is a heat wave. We just had a blackout. Uh, I will not come back there. Like um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> breakfast a few weeks ago, I was like, oh man, it's, it's 80 degrees here right now. It doesn't like get above 80. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. Oh, but even this thing, the Haiti, but it, it feels like a hundred because of the humidity. Um, and, and it's, it's all that, but those things are the things our generation, I, I feel like when we get into positions of power, we'll invest in because we know <laughs> that uh, despite being called, you know, the, the, the baby generation and the entitled generation, that the, we can see that it's our kids that are going to get affected, right? It's it, now it's, it's literally our kids or we could be affected in the twilight zones of our, of our years. So if we don't start you know, picking up the mic, recording ourselves, going to places to pick bottles up like, like you do and educating people and really teaching people about a sense of urgencies. There's no one else that will do it. It's not the government that's in place that will do this. It has to start from us. And so uh, that, that's the change I'm watching. I'm not even, and I'm, I don't even think it's us waiting to be in positions of power. I think what the internet has done is given us a platform to use your, your word to just educate people and to take uh, action into our own hands. I mean, that's the great equalizer uh, in today's world. It's the great equalizer and also the great divider of the internet sometimes, but I believe it, it does more good than bad. I'm not on the side that, that thinks the internet is the worst thing in the world. I, I, the internet is the reason I have the job I have. <laughs> but um, I, yeah, so I think that's where our generation, I'm just rambling at this point, but I think that's where our generation, uh, as we take positions of, uh, of, um, of leadership, should start looking towards, to look towards how we can connect across cultures based on our passions and how we can use those uh, solutions to show people that they can do the same in their environments. Mm. Why is inclusive? Inclu I'm going to just inclusive. butcher it. You know, we're going we're gonna to do this. You think of the word inclusive. Inclusive. And then itty. Inclusivity. Inclusive. Inclusivity. <laughs> you got inclusive inclusivity. There right? goes my good serious hardening question. Um, <laughs> well, the, uh, the question I, I believe the question. Why is inclusivity and um, diversity, you know, especially in the workplace, why is that important? And like, how is that merge and bridge people across cultures? Because we are becoming more, like to, to your point, we're becoming more um, diverse. We're, we're more multicultural. You brought up the demographics of of Hispanics rising even more, and all these. Uh, different backgrounds. We're, we're now in a workplace where there are potentially five generations. You have different gender identities. And for some people, have, you know, some generations didn't grow up with the same gender identities. And people have different mindsets and people have different ways of thinking. 
And so the, the diversity and inclusion for me is, is, is much more than the external things. It's a lot of the internal, uh, what goes on inside us. But if you don't, if you have all this combination of people working together or going to school together and you have one style of leadership, it's a very dangerous thing to have because you're in the business of leading people. And if you're in the business of leading people that you don't understand, you're going to have a high turnover <laughs> because no one would want to stay at a company. You're going to lose uh, sales and profits, which will affect the bottom line of your company. But you're also going to have positions where even if people stay because they have to pay off loans, they're not going to be the most motivated and they're going to be miserable and you work for most of your life. And so you're going to be creating uh, a miserable workplace environment that, that has a horrible reputation. I mean, you, you saw what almost happened to Uber before, you know, uh, Travis was was kicked out. It was despite how fast the, the the company was growing, there were increasing rumbles of you know sexual harassment or things like that that were going underneath there. Um, it, it doesn't matter how well the company is doing; people are still getting affected, and they need to drastically change their leadership because they were afraid of what the whole company could do or crumble. So that's how does the business do that? Like uh, deal with the sexual harassment, especially you know, wouldn't say with the the upticks. I don't think it's uh been any more i think it's just you know, more and more reporting than reporting, yes. yeah. ever so yeah. i mean how does a company for example deal with this because as you said there's like a hard repercussion now of not yeah. just like hey turmoil in the office but sales um reputation you know brands being destroyed well companies have to make it make it clear and known that uh this type of behavior is not accepted and when this happens you can come here without consequence in the past people haven't known where to go to you know, people have been afraid that if they talk, they'll be the one that's ostracized and uh, people have enabled people. And so when you're having orientation, when you're given the company values, you, you, you need to explicitly say this is not acceptable and no one is above above ground. And this is always a safe space. You have a reporting structure in place where it's clear. Everybody knows that that's what's happening. And and there is no consequence of, of loss of job after, unless there's due you know, process and investigation, things like that. And, and what kind of behavior are we talking about? Because I think these men and women, or even women and women and men and men, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. a lot of them are spending more time with the people they work with than, yeah. you know, their significant or intimate uh, partners or relationships outside of this. I mean, how yeah. do we tell people like, hey, the person you're hanging out with the most, that you're working with the most, maybe grabbing drinks with the most, you know, what behavior does come acceptable? I mean, because again, this is a topic or discussion we've never had to had before. Men and women never got never to spend had. as much time in a workplace before. Well, I mean, obviously the, there's a clear description of consent that needs to happen. I think there's a lot of times, I, I think of Aziz Ansari, um, whose situation was a little different, but I guess you, you, this is, it becomes blurry, right? Someone says non-verbicues or, or verbicues, but a clear explicit expression of consent and then definition of what what professional behavior is and what what things are and if there's a no dating policy or there's dating policy have the guidelines that this is what you do if you decide to date or if you're trying to think of something just this is what we should do here and then if if, if nothing happens this is what we should do and also there should be um a policy that lets people know that you know whatever you do romantically or sexually should not affect your job whether it's to climb up the ladder or make you uh, lose your job. I mean, I think a lot of what was happening in Hollywood was you sleep to get a part or sleep to get a role or uh, the same thing that happens to other jobs. And, and that, that, kind of stuff, that kind of stuff is hard when the power dynamic is with the person that can give you the job. Um, but 
we need to have more checks and balances, much like we have in government where, you know, um, someone should be able to report to someone higher than another person or a council uh, and say, this is what's happening. Um, and it's for my boss. I don't want to get fired or get ostracized, but what do we do? Uh, and, and that takes investment, by the way, that takes money. Yeah. And that takes yeah. a, a commitment to say, this is our CEO, but it, this is the board or this is the council that it incorporates everybody from different parts that you can report to when something happens above, uh, above the, uh, the, you know, the, the CEO and you have to commit to that. But, um, yeah. That's what I think. Well, we'll see. I'm, I'm sure my mind might change in the future as I work with more companies. But uh, Has it gotten any better? I mean, I haven't heard, you know, maybe as much hype around or a lot of attention or news reports around, you know, everything that's happened or gone on. I mean, I, I think I, I, I'm inclined to say there's still room for improvement, but I'm also inclined to say that it's getting better, but that is much slower pace. Yeah, um, I, guess I, haven't heard, I haven't heard much, you know. Yeah. If anything, of course, you're only going to hear is, hey, this guy has, you know, for example, Harvey Weinstein has, you know, messed with this many women and this has all happened. And wow. Well, why are all these women coming forward now? Right. Right. Yeah. Oh, gosh, nothing pisses me off more than that. That stuff really pisses me off. I, <laughs> where we go, oh, well, why are you coming now? You, you could have come a long time ago. I'm like, come on. Seriously? Are we, we, that's where we're arguing about. The, <laughs> but um, I, I don't know that. I don't know if it's, I think I think there's a lot of room for improvement and I, the, with the companies that work, sometimes if you have people tell me things in confidence, you can tell there's still room for growth. I think where we need to be at is we need to, like we keep saying critical thinking, we need to practice moral courage to do the right thing. And we need to be big picture thinkers. We need to be able to think beyond ourselves and for long-term uh, benefits. And um, you're asking people to be so unselfish right there. And so, yeah, but- <laughs> I mean, no, I'm saying with this idea that it's not about me. It's not. This is not, of only solely affecting me and my decision I'm making isn't there's no repercussions on a, a lot more people. It's a, it's a big thing for people to do. It's a, it's a hard ask. Hey, if you don't do this, this is going to do, you know, that whole um, uh, psychological uh, quiz that, or mind game you do like, Hey, there's a trolley going down the hill. And if you, and there's women on the tracks and you're going to kill two of them, but you're going to save five. Yeah. One of them happens to be this, but these five guys you're going to save right here that you don't even know. Yeah. Again, how do we tell somebody I'm, I'm butchering the whole thought, thought experiment, but, but that helps everyone though. That's the thing that people fail to see. It's, Oh, oh no. Hey, <laughs> I don't want to even get the wrong idea. It helps everybody. Cause again, again, I'll be the counter where it says, Hey, I was wrongly accused of all this stuff. But mm-hmm. again, that, that's just the plain and simple thing is how do we lay out the culture, build a community and a conversation around everything happened? No, so that, no, I'm not. And, and I understood what, what you're saying because even with the devil's advocate approaches is when you think of a big picture and you think of others beyond yourself, it's if we get past this point where we feel like, um, What's this thing? Uh, is it crabsy, crabsy barrel, crab barrel, or something like that? Where, you know, making us making space for more room on the table means less for me. Um, I think that's such a false thing. I think the I, people forget that when you have more ideas and more people in in a room, yes, there's potential for more conflict, but there's also more potential for ingenuity, more ideas, and productivity, and something that can even you know, expand your, your pie. If you're a business and you, you think of how you can get into a larger demographic by being more inclusive, think about a marketplace that you could tap into. 
that that's growth for your business. If you're in 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 the movie and you you saw what happened with Crazy Rich Asians and and Black Panther, I think people underestimate because those those are two demographics that that people have said don't sell overseas. But when you finally give people a way to just be normal and not have to be caricatures and say that's the black person, that's the black, it's just them living their normal lives. You see what happens and how many times they come up in droves. Well, people forget that experience because the, the normal thing has is, is always been, um, it's predominantly white movie or any of that. We don't even call it a white movie. We just call it a movie. And when we call something else that's not, uh, that doesn't have a predominantly white cast, it's a black movie, it's an Hispanic movie, it's, it's an Asian movie. But why can't it just be called movies? And so all those things that we forget, we're like, we have to retrain the, the, the world and understand that just like this predominantly white movies didn't affect your bottom line or didn't make you any less of anything, it's going to be the same thing when you sprinkle <laughs> more diversity because that's just the way the world looks like. And the more the world sees themselves in things, uh, the better it will be. People underestimate the power of representation. Do you know how powerful representation is? I look about, I think back to my 10-year-old, 11-year-old self. If I found out that it was cool to just have my, my thick Nigerian accent at the time and to just be cool in a movie and there was some cool character that was like the coolest person, I would be like, yo, that's, that's, that's who I am. <laughs> I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be like, you know, trying to assimilate in some way at, at, at the, expensive of my identity and I, and I, I so that's where I am with that I think it's I, I think we need to get beyond ourselves because if we do that we're going to see that it's actually going to just cause more unity and it's also going to train our retrain our biases uh, to just be more accepted and then that's just more ideas and more growth I guess I, that's how I see it no I mean we, we, we don't know it's okay we don't know it's okay to be ourselves. And the fact that we can share that message with people who've already been marginalized or, you know, don't have that space or platform, it, 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 it doesn't hurt anybody. No, I, I'm just, it's, again, it's, I think it definitely comes down to the perceptions of how we see the world. I, but exactly. So. And say, Hey, no, I should be scared about this or say, Oh, wow, this is a brand new take on a whole new idea. I've never heard before. Open-mindedness. <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny thing, that word, but it, uh, it, it's where we need to be. I mean, I mean, as kids, what, you were very curious, I'm sure, when you were a kid. And oh, I mean, I've loved history like since I was a kid. That's why I studied in college, like an idiot. Um, I just studied it because, oh, I, re I read my textbooks from school, you know, at home. Like, I, I actually just love learning about history. You know, I'm quoting Constantine from the year 315 in the Roman Empire in our conversation now. I saw, I saw, I saw. So, you know, I was just always fascinated by it. Indiana Jones, any adventure or action, adventure action type thing. It was like, oh, that's who I want to be. You know, get me a crack whip and a brown hat. And, you know, I'm going to go find some lost relic in the middle of the jungle somewhere, you know. I'm going to connect with these people and that people. I mean. And I mean, those movies kind of, you know, cross cultures, you know, you're, you're going to a strange new world that you're going to experience and connect with the people in a whole different way. Um, yeah, and those are, I mean, those are the friendships uh, I had growing up. It was just, um, just a whole yeah. new thing. And yeah, I think the toughest thing is connecting with people on that side to say, I hey, so I like to, I, I look at the world. I don't look at somebody this way. I don't look at somebody that way. Yes, yeah. I, I definitely have biases and I definitely have strong opinions about things, but you know, there's a way to have a conversation. I think um, it's actually fun. It's actually fun when I do that. When I come back from traveling, 
Um, especially after that South America trip. And I talk with people, hey, how's it going? Like, I've kind of been away for a while. What's going on here? And, or even any debate or conversation, because I feel like I run into, like, I kind of poke and pester and, like, look for, you know, those trolls and those people get mad, but you, I really don't attract those people, even online. I, I don't run into those issues. I um, guess I'm a likable guy. But, you are like we'll get. <laughs> but you know, when I start hearing somebody vet and complain, I don't like this. I'm like that. This is happening. That's happening. That's happening. Like, you know, my black and whiteness is just says, "Hey, well, 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 how does that make you feel? Like, where's that coming from? Like, why do you, why do, you, why do you feel that way? You know, letting someone express themselves, whether they're, you know, whatever background they have or experience that or trauma they, you know, letting someone let that out, hearing somebody talk about that relating to what they went through and what they went on and now you got them on that like relatable level to to talk about how the world can be better how's that going to make this situation better but that's why i love podcasting it's, this is just a way way different intimate conversation you can have with one person two per two people when the chance for you to be vulnerable on these things where people to listen in inspires others you know talking about keto constantly we talk about influence on social media and just people are like hey i'm starting keto i'm like why are you doing that well i heard you talk about it over here and i'm just like that's that's so cool you know it's so fantastic that's just eating singers like hey now you know i've been running you know three miles a day because you've been talking about doing more running or doing this exercise it's like you know you we don't all don't realize the change or our impact yeah and we don't talk to each other enough um, I, know, I think if, yeah. if we have to do it over a podcast like this way, I'm fine with doing it that way. No, it's fine. <laughs> but no, it's true. If you think about it, even, um, and I'm the biggest proponent, you and I are very digital uh, fans, digital media fans. We promote, we promote that. Um, I, but even with doing research for the book, because the book is about connecting, so like connecting across cultures, connecting to self. I realized we don't, a lot of people don't connect with people. I mean, you have your phones in front of you and you sort of look at the news, even if you're right next to someone. But we've forgotten how to, to really find out what it's like to, you know, be the new kid in, in, on the block and find out what, what the common ground is. Hey, you like basketball too? I like basketball. What was your favorite thing? What happened? And many times now, if you meet someone that have been friends for a few years, you'd be like, oh, I didn't know you did that. Well, like, yeah, I do it every Saturday. Really? Every Saturday? Oh, but, yeah, but we always talk, oh, yeah, I was over the phone. But we don't have those uh, points of connection anymore that we could easily point back to. Uh, well, I mean, you can click on a hashtag now and message somebody. And I think that's, that's become the problem with social media is that people like these mini tribes, the tribes we have in real life have like migrated over to the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Little groups now where you say, oh, Republican, progressive, liberal, Democrat, yeah. uh, likes basketball, exists. So, I mean, like you said, it's great. The fact that, you know, you or I can go up and have a conversation like, oh, I, this person's just doing something really cool over here. I want to talk to them and yeah. find out, like, wait, why'd you start, like, just start painting this thing on the curb in New York City? It looks so beautiful. I mean, who are you? Where do you come from? Like, why do you do this? Um, and the fact that we can do that with direct messages, you know, I can talk to somebody in the Philippines right now about basketball. Yeah. I can get lost in a conversation on my cell phone. It's, it's a beautiful thing. And, you know, we've, we've lost a lot of our communication skills with these devices that they've, they've allowed us to connect even more. Yeah. Instead, we've, you know, retracted back again into our ideas on these yeah. devices. Yeah. But I, I think you and I believe, I think you and I believe that we can even use, now that we know that that's the case, there's a potential for that. We can uh, strive for deeper connection. Like you say, hey, let's jump on Zoom or let's jump on 
uh, Skype or something, or hey, I'm in your area. Let's see if you can grab. Car. You know, you can expect you can take that connection to a deeper level, or, or you know, where it's it becomes something even deeper and doesn't stay surface. So um, yeah, that that's where we are. Okay, we're taking it to Ronaldo Messi. Our last oh, Ronaldo Messi. Bit. Why Ronaldo? I know you are a big Ronaldo guy, and I know after I posted that question. The messies just came pouring oh, in. Yes. It happens. I, I'm a little. I'm a little. I'm not sided. I'm really down the middle. I'm a fan of the art form. Oh, you down the middle? You gotta pick a side, Brandon. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. We can't pick sides. <laughs> you know, I, I'm throwing everything I saw. Look, this is an objective. We have. We're trying to have an objective debate. This mm-hmm. is. Yeah, who is better? Remind you, I'm. Let's see. I'm the mediator, and you're portraying this to my audience, your audience. You know, give us the case for Ronaldo. Okay, so Messi is, is more nationally talented. Uh, Messi's won more team, uh, team championships. But when I think about uh, an ability for today's game and uh, the adaptability of Ronaldo from his adaptability of different positions, adaptability to go to different leagues and win, uh, and the fact that he is always more often than not shown up to be the reason and the clutch guy that they won you know, in, in the Champions League for Portugal, I, 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 can't, I can't even bring Messi in the conversation because I think Messi is the second greatest player in the world, but Messi is not. tough sell on, on those points right there, especially yeah. like in the international or the yeah. like rising to the top thing. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's, look at, let's look at the fact that, one, Messi hasn't won um, in, um, internationally. Messi's always had the better cast, right? I mean, I don't know anyone can argue that. You know, when you, when you have uh, Xavi and, and Hernandez, I mean, there's no, there's no way we can even argue that Messi has never had to be the one to really change too much of his game in a way where he is completely different from when he started. That, to me, just it allows me to just, I can't, I can't, I can't just say Messi is better because I haven't seen him do anything in a different position i haven't seen him in a different league i haven't seen him without the best team in the world i would have loved to seen him get in the epl like that yeah, in the premier was- league or in italian look in just be somewhere else so i can see if the, those skills translate because the it, premiership is the most physical league it might not be the best league but it's the most physical league but you know ronaldo's done it he won a match united won the Juventus. is what he, he won he, the goal record with yeah goal record. yeah easy year with like 43 yeah. or 46 goals 47 yeah and then he went to Real Madrid and he elevated his game and he wasn't he wasn't a winger or any of that he became this this player and i am more in love with the idea of a player who basically made himself that person because like i said messi's more naturally talented but you can see the amount of work that he's done to himself to essentially be the best player in his mind in, in the world and it, him in the air forget about it <laughs> forget about it uh, um and then uh what was that will be the last thing i'll say um uh i was trying to think of, there was one other point i had um versatility you know adaptability international record there was something else i wanted to add ah it's escaping me all those things all those things add up to me and yes you can bring up all those oh yeah the comp i compare it to it's like ronaldo to me is like lebron james and Messi to me is like kevin durant before the injury like right before the injury like kevin kevin durant people were some people were saying he might be the best player in the world but but Kevin Durant was on the Golden State Warriors. The team was already stacked, and then LeBron has always been. He has to be the reason uh, that that they win, and, and without him, you, they crumble. 
and and that to me is very very tough for me to to find any argument against so that's um, a that's a powerful powerful comparison right there lebron to ronaldo and kd to messi wow yeah like right before, like not the KD before, like right, the KD that was happening right before he got it, you know, injured where everybody was like, is this the best player in the world? This guy yeah. is insane. The yeah. millennial in me is going to say, you know, secretly, I definitely say I'm more on the Ronaldo side. What? <laughs> you picked I, this side? <laughs> no, I didn't pick your side before that. I felt that way, you know, but like a millennial, I don't want to believe in anything, you know, but I'm going to yeah. take a stance here and say that, you know, no matter the repercussions and the rebuttal, that's going to come pouring down on me. Um, no, I, I definitely would say even like, you know, emotion as, a, as an athlete and player, definitely, you know, in, as, a, as a basketball player I've been, is like I had to relate in those situations. I've had to be the guy. Yeah. And, you know, when I was, a lot of the places I've been to or played on, teams I was on, just the situation I in, it was just like as that point guard, which is, I think is the hardest thing to do, which makes it, I think, even harder for Messi wow. to do those things, to, to be – that guy because you know look at a point guard in the nba i mean steph curry's done an amazing job at staying at that high level as a guard but also he hasn't been able to have to handle you know dribbling the dribbling the ball as an yeah. mvp you know you look at guys like steve nash you know hey he had those two mvp seasons and those are debatable mvp seasons we can get right. on Miami. going against shaq stats you know back yeah shaq was yeah shaq never acknowledges those mvps anyways <laughs> oh god he's the worst on that um <laughs> So you have Shaq stats, and then you also have, you know, think about Isaiah Thomas just a few years ago. I mean, he had that yeah. one great season. I mean, and as a point guard, you have so much wear and tear, having to have the ball in your hands, having that big role and responsibility to, to get to here, to get to there, and for the team to rely on you. So I think, you know, Messi has it. Yeah, even Ronaldo in that aspect, too, the same, same kind of difficulty, but – you know, he's always had that team. I think he's been safe playing in Spain. I don't think the Spanish. No, that's that's what that's what that's all I'm saying. And I, I think Messi's that second- hard. I don't think it's that hard. He, well, see, that's oh, the thing. Again, again, I'm not a soccer player. You know. No, I'm not. That's the thing. I'm, I'm not. I'm not either. Because I don't want to dismiss. Look, you can. I'm sure you can give the amount of like you can say he's a better playmaker. You can say he's, he has slightly more goals. I get all that. But I would that Seth Curry and the Kevin Durant comparison is. I don't know, maybe I've always been the underdog, but I always appreciate someone that can go to a team and just elevate that team. I, I wonder what would have happened if, if Messi left that team. That team would still be great. you kidding me? That, <laughs> that, the Barcelona team, was it a 2009 team or a 2010 team? Probably the best team I've ever seen. I, was, I can't remember which year it was. I mean, they just always had a, an incredible front three. You think about even like when he was younger, just a, yeah. a Ronaldinho, Eto, oh, and Messi with oh. still an Iniesta, Xavi midfield. <laughs> you, you see, look, you see, this is, this is why I'm saying. Eric Abidal playing defense oh, before the liver injury. I mean, they had, they, they were stacked. I'm, that's my point. And, and yes, this is something we can never find out. And I shouldn't punish someone for being in a great team or all that. But I'm just saying. I've seen someone do it on a different level and I've seen someone had to change his game. That's like, like say LeBron trying to get a, a three, having to develop a three point shot or having to figure out how to play with his back behind the basket or having to figure out how to, to be a better ball or well, all these things. Those are, you know, when I see players do that, I'm like, yeah, 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 that's greatness. Yeah. So, but I know I'm in a minority. Most people think Messi's better. I get well, it. I'm yeah. still not a LeBron guy. I mean, I'm a, a grew, I, up on, grew up on MJ guy. I mean, like, I know. It's I okay. mean, like the thing that, you know, I, 
as a ball player too it just it's it's that kill factor man it's that, oh gosh like, oh. killer be killed i'm not saying he's not an incredible physical specimen not a dominant individual and i think him he like messi also have this they just do not get foul calls they are just on such a different stratosphere physically or you know with the creative gifts they have on the court that they do not get the same amount of foul calls they do not get the same amount of things like just watching them you know, and then uh, as knowing the tips and tricks that I did on the court, they, they get, fuck, excuse me, they get beat up. <laughs> it's, you know, Messi, it's like four or five calls where him maneuvering around before he gets, you know, a, like just a, a whistle. LeBron okay. in the post just getting shoved in the back when there's an NBA that's so soft and doesn't have hand checking. Again, it leads to a greater offense. I'm not going to knock that. That's fantastic. Uh, you, you, you know what you sound like? You sound like uh... – Every TNT analyst right now, but <laughs> which is which is which is still by the way it's the best sports show in the in the, in the world in my opinion. Okay, they so MJ, for a reason. yeah, they, that's true. That's true. I, but but so MJ obviously in your mind since you are an MJ guy, do you do you agree with the narrative then that that MJ will always be the best? Because that's what I, I seem to hear from whenever I hear people like yourself who grew up with, with, on him and everyone else are like, no, it's, you don't even understand. It, it's never going to happen. MJ is just the best ever. I almost, it sounds like I'm hearing people say there is no other person that could come along that will change my mind. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, you obviously, you, you got to see him. So, uh, that's I mean, I'm, I'm open to it. I mean, yeah. It was are like, you, are you though? Are you really, are you really open? You think yeah. you can <laughs> Okay, I don't, I don't know. I mean, because obviously, I'm you know, I'm Jay. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I got to not just grow up, but I got to go to several, several, several games. You know, yeah. I mean, even as a kid, again, my parents never played basketball. However, you know, they got this. You know, as like any kid you have in your house, like who is this lunatic just running around with this <laughs> red jersey on his back? We've never heard of this Michael Jordan cat, and you know, yeah. now, now we're watching games. We have NBA League Pass, so I mean, I think like even like the seventy-two and ten season we watched. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just, you know, growing up on that, you got, you got the taste of like, oh, this is what it's like to never lose. Like when you watch that season, you watch back, go back and just reflect on that season. Like it's just, that's just greatness right there. Like, oh, this is 72 and then you get to see it with the Warriors, you know, doing that 73 and nine. Like, oh, if this is the bar and this is where it's set, where, what else comes below that? That was and, good. I mean, just think about the winning a shot at the end of the game. Yeah. And just, you know, the percentage he had for doing that. Again, that's just – we're not even going to compare it to anybody else. It's like that is where the bar's been set. Like, hey yeah. – and then you watch in the 72 and 10 season just like – or in those playoffs like in the 90s, 90s, wow, we're not going to lose. Oh, Michael's got the ball. Like everybody's screwed. Wow. It, it, it's Mike. It's Mike. Like who is going to do that? So okay. I, think he, I think he just set the bar at a, just such an extreme level. And again, there'll be those people to say he didn't play against anybody and it was this or that, um, or he, he had a team and he didn't have a team, you know, that aside, I think just, I'm reading that book right now, um, by his trainer. Um, oh, um, um I know, I know what you're talking about. I, I read it too. I read it last year, a year before, uh, unstoppable or, yeah, something uh, like that. Yeah. And it's just, you know, as, as an athlete, I have, those same because again i grew up on those michael jordan tapes as a kid michael jordan come fly with me michael jordan this in the air and there's always videos talking about like hey i just want to win everything and he's talking about a very wholesome level this is going to kids are going to see this. he's not talking about michael jordan the gambler or michael jordan you know how he talks to people on the basketball court it was like 
you know, I played Monopoly and I Mike, I'm talking to the roommate yet. Michael kept me up all night until he won a Monopoly. That, that must have been, yeah. No, I, I trust me, I understand. It's just interesting because um, obviously that's the, the, you know, the many people that share their opinion that would say Michael Jordan is basically. You know. No, the problem is I took that on as a five-year-old. I said, hey, if this guy doesn't lose and he wants to do this, then I have to do whatever it takes to win in terms of I got to work as hard as this guy. So, I mean, that's the thing I've been had to shrug off, you know, as a, as an adult now and not working in sports. It's like, how do I, you know, put that part aside me or how do I like in that book harness that cleaner mentality to the say, cleaners. yeah, exactly. That was what he said. Cleaner. Take that stuff and become that hardworking. No one's going to beat me. I'm going to be the best in any, you know, business or um in any different physical fear i'm gonna enter and try to go in yeah and you know, do you and the way that you feel about uh mj i think the way that i you know obviously i grew up on lebron because he was my i started following him when i was 13 and when he was in college i was in high um didn't go to college when he was in san vincent san mary high school and i remember i used to bring out my first favorite player was alan iverson and then it was uh lebron and so i used to print out all these papers Back then, it was the dialogue. So I used to, I used to, I used to print them out and I'd have a folder of all of their, their, all the things they like. I remember I'll never say like butter pecan ice cream from Sports Illustrated for Kids, and I would just study all their habits or their daily routines because those things were readily available. I did that for tennis as well. But I think the thing that I've loved most about LeBron is, is um, more than that, that he sees himself as more than an athlete, uh, and the stuff he does off the court, whether it's with the school or enabling his that's where he's different that's where it's like really really yeah yeah and and that's not even a basketball thing that's the thing i've admired where you know what a maverick carter is you know he's in the entertainment business or rich paul whether you like him or not i i happen to like him but i know some people don't uh you know as an agent or you know randy all these people that he grew up with i remember when he quit uh or he fired his agent and people said what are you doing this guy what you're just gonna not have the normal agents uh, and, and I just love the ability to just do things uh, in a way that you're not defined by one thing. And you know from hearing my story, that's my big thing, not to be defined. You know, we're all multi, uh, we're all hyphenated people, potentially, multi-hyphenated people. And so, yeah, you know, for me, it's probably it's a combination of those things, uh, which, by the way, to very old school basketball fans is a distraction to other people. They're like, no, just don't do any other thing off the court. So it, it's... It depends on how you see it, I guess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so Michael's still the best. We've we've concluded. Uh, <laughs> Give it to Ronaldo in our our conversation, but you know, Mike Mike just takes the cake. Uh, like, okay. You know, okay, fine, okay. fine. You know, Open. when it's all done, I'm still I'm still okay. Fine, fine, fine. This is this is this is the side I want to see more. Of. I always said it. Fine. You know what? As long as you said LeBron James is the best, but I mean, sorry, um, you said Michael's the best. Yeah. I can yes, I can yes. I think when. At this point, basketball yeah. player. No, at, at, at this point, Michael is better than LeBron. I will, I will not deny that. <laughs> I would deny it. That, that felt so hard to say. It was so hard for me to say. But yes, at this point, I, I, I will concede that fact. But his career is not over. No. <laughs> it's not. I'm excited. We, we have such a great season. I, I know we, we talked about, you know, the Messi for Ronaldo, and that it's great that we all. And again, I don't think people are like, oh, you're not enjoying them for what they are now. But I think people are. 
the fact that we can, like I said, have the soapbox of debates with somebody, you know, in the UAE over the internet right now, like, hey, Messi sucks, Ronaldo's the best, Ronaldo's the worst, that we can have those, it's, it's really, we are enjoying it. And the yeah. fact that we can highlight everything and everything. It's like you said, like I remember reading Sports Illustrated as a kid and Sports Illustrated or just the back of cards. I collected cards. It's like something yeah, that doesn't yeah, this is the guy does cards. I remember. I yeah. still have huge, huge, huge ring, three ring textbooks. But, you know, kids today have an even more in-depth look. It's just in a different way. It's digitally that you can see someone's Instagram and that's their new playing card right there. Yeah. That is what you're going to know. It's not just going to be their hometown and this you know what Kevin Durant lights for breakfast every day now. Exactly. It's a whole new playing card. It's, 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 yeah. I just thought of it. It's, it's true. It's, it's really surreal, but back to what I was going to get into is that you have a book coming out and that can come out in August, August. Comes out September 4th. Uh, but September 4th. Guess, yeah, but I guess, I don't know when the podcast will be out, but when, whenever it's out, um, I would, I'd love for you to pre-order it, but the book is called, uh, use your difference to make a difference, which is my mission statement. And it's on how to connect in a cross-cultural world, right? So everything that we've talked about, the different ways to find common ground, uh, to navigate this, this nuanced world where you're either a, a, an educator, you're a parent, you're a change maker, or you're someone in the workforce. How do you make sure you develop those skills within yourself to be more culturally competent? You know, and then what investigative skills can you and observation skills can you develop in, in ways to observe your society and grow? And then how can you communicate with people to have different values from you? You know, a lot of research went into it. Um, there are a lot of stories as well. And uh, I would really, 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 really love you all to, to, to hit the order or pre-order button, depending on when this comes out. Uh, it'll help. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Um, it's definitely my life's work. But yeah, just to make a difference on Amazon or wherever you buy books. Uh, yeah, let me know. No, man, you said it right there. And that's going to be a whole nother conversation we're going to have to have. It's, it's how do people agree on the same values? Because yeah. I, I, I learned that in, you know, relationships and friendships, like, you know, people come from different places and you, even day people cross cultures. Like it's, it's big. I mean, it's a whole different value system and yeah. it's a huge nod to people who, you know, a French and Indian couple who can get married and do that. I'm like, you know, I've traveled. I've been around the world. Bravo. That's, that's amazing right there. It's a lot of work. <laughs> a lot of work. It's a, and it's more work than you think it is because it's the little, because it comes down to your everyday things and like, wait, that's how you, you talk to people? Do you hug people like that? Or do you, it's just as very subtle things and it becomes, yeah. it just adds up. And you're like, wait, yeah, that, it doesn't mean what you think of me. Yeah, and then it's, uh, <laughs> and I've been in, I've been in, 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 in that position and, and it, you just have to eventually, I mean, it wasn't like anyone was a bad person. It was just, some things were rubbing against the way you were because that's not how I do things and then, you know, I can No, it, it happens. I mean, I thought, you know, being the most happy-go-lucky, just bright person that it wouldn't matter. But like, no, there's just so many little subtleties that you, yeah. you know, either you don't pick up on or you don't realize. Right. And it, it's, you know, again, nod to everybody and see how I just went right into that with the values. Like, I'm going to cut this because we're going to make Yeah, it. yeah, we, we, we can cut. But yeah, but that's all those things are also covered in the book. But it, it is it is a very, very hard work. And it does involve less ego, more openness, because that would be more opportunities. And it has to come from both sides. But yes. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. um, Kyle, I, I hope, uh, you know, when you come out here, I'm going to be at that. Um, Events, please. Yeah. Your book talk you're going to have out here. And yeah, I think we could even do a little video piece about, you know, you, the book, the values on a topic. Uh, uh, 
we'll set that up. That's uh, nothing that everybody on the podcast needs to hear. So okay. I'm going to tune out and sign out. Tayo, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank You're the you for man. You're the man. Glad that we're not just podcasters, but we're friends. Um, yes, we are. <laughs> uh, you're a great guy, and I, I love the uh, the message and just the work you're doing. It's Thank you know you. really important, and you know not to get negated. You know, coming from the side that's been a lot more exclusive, um, more exclusive past. So um, keep doing what you do, man. It's a great message, mm-hmm. and to everybody who tuned in. So I'm looking at the camera now. Why Tyo's always been thinking I'm looking away. Um, uh, thank you guys so much for tuning into the show. Remember, you go check out Tayo. He's on Instagram. He has his website. The website, I'm not going to remember off the top of my head because it's a UYUD management, and I want to make sure I get that right. Or TayoRoxon.com. Or TayoRoxon.com. <laughs> so you can find out anything and everything about him there. And you can find him on Instagram primarily at TayoRoxon. And as well on uh, Twitter um, at TayoRoxon, I believe both of those things are. And... If you're new to the show, please go ahead and hit that subscribe button. I'm on the YouTube side now, so I'm pointing at all you guys there. And if you're not pointing at you because you're listening to this, push that button. Push <laughs> that button. And go ahead and let's continue this conversation. It's all about community. And if we are able to go out and say, hey, this conversation changed you, this conversation helped you in any certain way, or you hate me, you hate us, like just go let it out. We got to find out where that's come from. We got to find that place. We, we, I can take we can take so put that stuff there and that's it everybody the bus is out thank you again for tuning in peace peace this is the moment uh, for those who